Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We have gone on an epic journey through the symbolism of the 78 cards of the tarot deck, and in this season, we are applying esoteric filters to the deck, examining it through a variety of astrological, Kabbalistic, numeric, and other lenses. This week, we're continuing our 10-part series on number, which will allow us to look at the many roles that number plays in tarot, whether in the 1 through 10 numeric minors, or in the numbered major arcana, or even in the court cards, which, believe it or not, also each have number correspondences. Focusing on number will also allow us to have a closer look at the 10 sephirot of the Tree of Life, which is good because Kabbalah is probably one of the more challenging esoteric subjects we tackle on this podcast, and we could all use a bit more time to wrangle some of its subtleties. And remember, if you're diving in at random and one of us says something inscrutable, we do have lots of resources to help with that on our website www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you can sign up and get access to all of that content for as little as a dollar. There are also a couple of other places where you can check in with us online. You can visit Mel at tabulamundi.com, and you can visit me at tsusanchang.com. You can also join over 450 smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends at the Fortunes Wheelhouse Academy group on Facebook. As you know, each episode, we have a giveaway. Last week, our prize for the second of our numeric episodes went to Ted from Toronto. Congratulations, Ted. This week, we're talking about the number three, which is associated on the Tree of Life with the Sephira Bina, as in the Black Sea of Bina, which is a phrase you hear us use fairly often on this show. So for this week's giveaway, we are offering our winner a Fortune's Wheelhouse mug, which you can fill with your own Black Sea of coffee or any other beverage of your choice. You can, of course, simply buy the mug or any of our other merchandise at www.redbubble.com people wheelhouse93 slash shop. And now, here's this week's episode. Hi, everybody. We are back with numeric episode number three. So we're going to be talking about all four threes of tarot, three of wands, three of cups, three of swords, and three of pentacles or discs, otherwise known as the lords of virtue, abundance, sorrow, and work or works. And we'll be talking about their associated majors by number, of course, the empress, because that's number three, the hanged man, because that's 12, and the world, because that's 21. We'll also be talking about majors connected to the third Sephira, Bina. Those are the magician, the empress again, the chariot, and the lovers. And we'll be talking about the queens. So we're basically going to be talking about half the tarot deck. All right. So um, I kind of have, before we get into the nitty gritty, something that I think is interesting. It's a bit of a digression, but not really. You know how you and I were talking about how difficult the first two episodes were? Yeah. And uh, obviously, one and two being above the abyss, pretty hard to talk about. And here we are now in uh, three, where at least... We're still above the abyss, but we're getting the idea of shape and structure. So maybe it's going to get a little easier. Let's hope. But anyway, <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, how hard it has been and, and is to talk about number in any comprehensive way. And it reminded me that there's a really interesting essay at the back of 777. It's Appendix B. Mm. And it's called, What is a Number? 
And it really sheds some light on why it's so difficult to talk about. So it's also appropriate to talk about it now in three rather than have brought it up in one and two, because what this essay, What is a Number?, is talking about is something from the Book of the Law, the first of three chapters where Nuit is speaking. Now, Nuit is the feminine god form of the triad. So there's some correlation with Binah, the three. So it's kind of appropriate to bring this up here. What Crowley's trying to say in this essay, he's trying to not only define what is a number, but he's trying to explain this really paradoxical statement in the book of the law, right at the beginning, the fourth line of the first chapter, where Nuit says, every number is infinite, there is no difference. And that seems to be a real contradictory statement. So how can every number be infinite when the very definition of number is like a pause on a mathematical continuum, a finite thing, a defined thing? The second statement, there is no difference, which is also a contradiction. Basically, what it boils down to is that every number is relative Mm -hmm. to every other number. It can only be defined in its relationship to other numbers. And our methods of observation, our senses are inherently flawed. Mm-hmm. And But that's what we have to use. <laughs> so numbers are a relation between other existing numbers or existing ideas. It's a statement between the observed and the ob- observer. In scientific experiments, the exact conditions can never recur. You can't boil the same water twice because it's changed molecularly once you boil it once, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, then he gives a couple of examples. And one is an axiom that says two straight lines can never enclose a space. That statement, in order to understand it, you have to understand the ideas of duality, straightness, line, enclosing, and space, each of which is meaningless until defined by something equally meaningless, another idea. So kind of crazy making. And then he gives another example of a statement that this chair in the room has remained stationary and has not moved for one hour. That's only true in relationship to you, the observer, and your environment, the house. Mm -hmm. It hasn't moved in your house. It hasn't moved in relationship to you. But in reality, in that hour, the Earth says, spun on its rotation, it's moved a 1,000 miles via rotation. And the Earth is in its orbit, has moved 70,000 miles via its orbit. So that chair has been far from stationary, <laughs> right? So that's a, that's another example yeah. of truth as relative to the observer. Yeah. So he goes on to say that numbers are like this, that they can't merely be a static term in a mathematical continuum. They have to relate to all other numbers. So back to every number is infinite. Every number is not only infinitely divisible into smaller and smaller pieces, but every number possesses like an infinite number of properties. It's peculiar to itself. It's a thing in itself, making it inscrutable, ineffable, inexpressible, even if you could understand it, Mm -hmm. and therefore infinite. That means that, in other words, a number is a soul. In the best or true sense of the word soul, as a unique and necessary element of the totality of existence. So therefore, every number is infinite. But yet, the second half of this statement is, there is no difference. How can there be no difference? So then he goes on to talk about, well, what is the idea of difference? And how you don't compare two things that are not similar. You don't, you don't look for the difference between a yard and a minute, he says. You're looking for the difference between things that are similar. So he says, if every number is a unique soul, an absolute thing, it's the center of its own universe. And as the center of its own universe, it has as like necessary appendages or uh, adjuncts to itself every other number. Mm -hmm. So every number is like the center of this universe of all the other numbers. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's infinite. But because it's the center of its own universe, it's the totality of a universe with every other number. Every number is the center of its own universe with every other number. Therefore, there is no difference between numbers. You know what I mean? Every one contains a relationship to all the rest of them. Every one is the entirety of the universe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So therefore, that contradictory statement, there is no difference, is 
not really that contradictory. Yeah, he says there cannot be any difference between one infinite universe and another. And another, yep. Mm -hmm. So at the very end of the essay, he kind of like predicts that mankind will eventually develop the faculties to improve our senses of observation so that they're not so inherently flawed and we can grasp things that are currently ineffable to us. Mm -hmm. But at another point in the essay, he also says something like, these things can be taught, but there is no guarantee that the study of them will not break your mind. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was really interesting after mm -hmm. like all this thought I was giving to why were these first two episodes so difficult? Yeah. You know, one of the things that's sort of come to me from this discussion and from thinking about numbers is that you know, as a way of organizing the universe, they are, as you said, definable in relationship to each other. And they allow us to create distinctions and meanings that are separate. But that is something that we supply, right? It's not right. inherent. It's a convention so, yeah. we decided to, to do, but it doesn't have absolute reality. Yeah, it's interesting. He says, we use instruments of science to inform us of the nature of the various objects which we wish to study, but our observations never reveal the thing as it is in itself. Yeah. You know, which to me kind of prefigures quantum science in a way, you know, yeah, right. the, the idea that you cannot really actually you know can't, the thing. Yeah. You're affecting <laughs> it merely by observing it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was really interesting. So that's yeah. uh, some homework for um, yeah, if people if want to read this with it. essay. It's <laughs> Appendix B in 777. Yeah. And my edition, which is the wiser edition, it's page 127. All right. Let us officially begin. We're talking about threes, and we're talking about Bina, and we're talking about this idea of form for the first time. The idea of form. The it isn't idea of actually form. form. Exactly. It's the will to form. I, and I think we really have to start with the idea of Bina because it's so central to everything else. It is the idea of receiving what comes from Chakma and giving it a place. Right. And right. being a portal through which it can pass through to Hesed where mm -hmm. it actually begin to take form. I think in both three and four, we're going to be talking a lot about what completion means, what completeness means, because Bina is a form of completion, but it's, right, it's completion not... Completion of the supernal yeah, triad. Yeah, but it's a completion of the idea. It's a completion that sets things in motion, as opposed to Chesed, which is more a completion that is stable. Yes, it's more active, yeah. actually, than four. There's definitely a sense of direction, as in the beginning of anything, really. It is no more passive than the uterus is a passive vessel, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. <gasps> yeah. And then there's also the idea, when we get into the Kabbalah, I guess maybe that would be the spot for this, the idea that it's the head of the pillar of severity, and what does that actually mean? We can, uh, we can talk about that. Hang on a sec, I'm smelling something burning. All right, we had to pause because my pastries were burning, because I got the five of swords today. However... We continue. You want to do three as like a number? Yeah. And things about three before we go into Kabbalah. Yeah. I let's guess. talk about all the <laughs> all lots the, of things that are threes. Have to do with, <laughs> all the things that have to do with three. You know, I mean, three's special because it's the first time that we have the concept of a middle. Right. Yeah. We could mention the Naples arrangement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Three as a point defined by its relation to two others. Exactly. And then it's followed by the abyss between the ideal and the actual. <laughs> right. So the point by relation to two others makes a plane. So we mm -hmm. went from point to line to plane, a flat surface, uh, usually as a triangle, but it could also be a circle, an oval, a vesica, piscus, a portal, a diamond. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because this is how we define two-dimensional space. Yes. Right? You know, it's sort of like we don't get to three-dimensional space until, until we get to, to Hesed, to yeah. four, right, which accounts for the nature of four. But... Three is inherently self-sufficient, like the three legs of a tripod. And we have many sort of systems of cosmology, godhead, and mm -hmm. um, esoteric correspondences. Um, correspondences in general that yeah. are come in threes, for example, like alchemy, which, right. you know, the prima materia come in three, the mercury, sulfur, and salt. Uh, then we have all the uh, triple gods and goddesses, mm -hmm. uh, the trinities of like Isis, Osiris, and Horus, Anu, Enlil, and Ia, or Enki, Sin, Shamas, and Ishtar, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Sophia, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, Selene, Diana, Hakate. 
exactly. things that come in threes. Maids, mothers, and crones. Yes, the three graces, the three fates, the three gorgons, the three norns, the three primaries, the, the three, furies. three wishes, the three furies. Yeah, all that yeah. past, present, and future. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of what we see within those trinities is the concept of a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like, for example, with the fates that you mentioned, there's one who spins it, one measures. who draws it, measures it, and one, one who cuts it. Yep. So those are all metaphors of beginning, middle, and ending. Same thing with Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, you know, mm-hmm. create, maintain, or preserve, and destroy. Yeah. Um, made Mother Crone. The it's- three primaries colors, mm-hmm. the three uh, modes, cardinal, fixed, and mutable, which are a form of beginning, middle, and end as well. The ideas of day, night, and the twilight between them. The ideas of heaven, earth, and the underworld, the three realms. We're the third planet from the sun. <laughs> That's true. Third rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's interesting about three? It's like it's historically used. Um, this is something that I think I read maybe in Eamblicus. I'm not sure. We use it to indicate multiplicity of anything like thrice blessed or thrice cursed or trismegistus. Yeah. I you read know? somewhere that uh, in some cultures, they didn't have a word for three. It was one, two, and then many. Many. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So to the extent that we can conceive of abundance of anything it's a three (laughs) it's also i i saw father child yeah the basic family unit is three exactly because it's it's more because you reproduced (laughs) yeah Yeah. so iamblica says the three advances the monad into actuality which kind of reflects these themes of manifestation of realization of making it you know super extra real but another concept that ancient philosophers had was the idea that three is related to friendship and peace, marriage, harmony, because it takes two opposites and unifies them. To create a third thing. Yeah, a a relationship. There's one person, there's another person, then there's the relationship. So in a sense, you know, we kind of talked in the two and the one about how there's the self becoming conscious of itself in the one and becoming conscious of another in the two. But in the three, it's like everybody's conscious that it's a thing. That whole expression, it's a thing, is like the essence of the three. (laughs) Prudence, wisdom, those were other names. The grand trine in astrology, mathematical aspect um, of threes. Then there's uh, the idea that threes is not only a prime and a number in the Fibonacci sequence, but it's really the first odd number because one doesn't count as... Yeah. The monad. <laughs> exactly. Then we have lots of correspondences to go through. I, the, the three as the, the great yoni to the, <laughs> yes. uh, to the great phallus in the sky yeah. of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which it's hard to say that with a straight face. It's hard to say, <laughs> say it with a straight face, but you know, there it is. There That's it what is. we do. Let me grab my uh, wang over here. Grab my wang. <laughs> grab my wang. The part of the soul is intuition. Mm-hmm. The Buddhist meditation is compassion. Some gods, besides the threefold ones we talked about, we have Nephthys and Isis and Maut and Cybele and Shakti and Demeter and Sophia and Rhea and Hera and Frigga and Isis and Juno and Hecate. Yeah, one of the ones that I really like is the idea that the triangle of art is associated with the mm-hmm. three because when we do magic, you know, the th- the triangle of art is where you evoke the spirit to you bring something out of non-ordinary reality and into manifest reality which is again another concept of the three this is a bit of an aside but just the idea that the three also has concepts of the seven in it which is weird i mean we're going to see that a lot with female you know yeah kind of yeah in the sense that it is a point of rest and it's also it's associated with saturn so saturn of course in a sense is the the concentric sphere that contains all the other concentric spheres the outer of the seven planets the outer of the seven and the idea of the seven being venus another feminine principle exactly what's interesting is in 777 there's a column for um the elements and the quarters as listed in the sephiroth etsira and for Bina, it gives water and earth, which I thought was hmm. interesting. And for Malkuth, it gives north. 
that's interesting yeah. to me. So it's kind of the whole mother and daughter thing, water and earth, both being inherent in Bina, which makes sense for Saturn as being, you know, earth and also Bina as being like the root of water in a sense. And Malkuth as north kind of makes sense too. If you ever look at the three-dimensional, the whole entire tree is emanating out of the northernmost part of Malkuth. The yellow okay, the right, air quarter. Right, right, right. Which I thought, yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and we generally associate north with earth in Golden Dawn-based cardinal directions. Mm-hmm. For the weapons, we have the Yoni. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. the black robe of concealment. Or the outer robe of concealment. Yes. Yeah. That's the like idea that form conceals the inner reality. Right, and that there's something fundamentally hidden about this area above the abyss. Right. The animal is woman. <laughs> uh, the uh, the stones, the star, star sapphire, the pearl, silver, mm-hmm. things like belladonna and myrrh and civet. All black things. The plague is darkness. The disease is dementia. And some of the symbols are the yoni, mm-hmm. the katias, which is that uh, pedestal that the phallus rests on, the circular kind of... <laughs> I thought the case was just the counterpart of the phallus. Well, I thought it... Yeah, yes, it yeah. is the counterpart. I mean, like, in, meaning in the, the vagina. Actual, in the what do you call it? The, the shivalingam? Oh, I see it's what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. the yeah. thing that the phallus mm-hmm. rests upon, that yeah. sits in. Or, yeah. The triangle, the cup, the womb as the Ark of Isis, the cauldron, mm-hmm. the cave... The tomb, the enclosure, the gates, and wells are all symbols. Pretty much anything concave. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess number two was anything convex. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. You can't really talk about three without talking about two. That's true. That's true. Yeah, in the same way you can't talk about four without talking about five. You know what else is interesting that I was thinking about? So you know how the the symbol of the three is the triangle. The same triangle is also the symbol for the uppercase letter delta. Greek yes. letter delta? Yes. Which is also corresponds to four, just like Dalit, which is the empress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an, that's an interesting... And set of correspondences I, I there. I use that symbol, the triangle, in my notes... Um, and that comes back from when I used to do accounting, because in mm-hmm. math, the triangle means change. Mm-hmm. It sh- measures the difference between things, which brings so us back to what So whenever I would make a change, Crowley I'd make saying. a little triangle mm-hmm. as a shorthand for change. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's interesting, because when you're in three, something's about to change. We're yeah. about to cross the abyss, and you know there is definitely a change coming. So that symbol of ch- that I used to use, change coming, mm-hmm. kind of interesting in, when you start thinking about terms. And the other thing in, in legal shorthand, which I thought was kind of funny the triangle is the symbol for the defendant which um is funny just because when we start talking about the kabbalah you'll see that it's sort <laughs> of a corrective the pillar of severity is sort of a corrective the pillar. wait what is the symbol of the defendant the triangle the triangle really yeah that's interesting i thought so too because because i didn't know that you know when you we start talking about the kabbalah the idea of you know part of it the function of the pillar of severity and Bina itself is the the dark mother as the corrective kind of force. Yeah. So, I wonder how that came to be. I wonder if it was like D yeah. for defendant, you know, yeah, maybe, Delta. Yeah, prob- you know, prob- probably something like so, that. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. That's though. really so, interesting. Anyway. Do you know anything about how the elements came to be represented as triangles? Because I don't. No, that's a good question. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, I mean, clearly because fire makes a triangle shape, you know, going upward and water points downward like that, but maybe it's because you have to have a triangle to have that idea of direction at all, you know? Yeah, maybe so. Interesting. Yeah. It's a way of saying uh, active or passive. Something that's in motion. And then from there, they just drew a line to differ- differentiate, to differentiate the, air the, and earth. The, the secondary active and passive of air and earth exactly i mean the idea of the delta which i think is used in all physical sciences and also as its term to do with rivers and yes. where a river connects to the ocean yes delta. so that's mm-hmm. kind of interesting too with bina and its great ocean and it's bringing down the waters in a river connection. right it kind of <laughs> constellates several concepts at once yeah. the idea of the the river and the sea of water of yeah. Change and momentum of completion and correction. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's all that. Yeah, so it's all in I there. That was kind of cool. Mm. So, um, want to talk Kabbalah a little bit? 
Oh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> it had to happen. It has to happen. <laughs> so Bina is really special among Sephirot because it is the last of the supernals. It is what receives the impulse of Kokma and amplifies it. And that's why Bina is understanding because you can have the insight of Chakma, but in order to make sense of it, you have to understand it. You have to turn it over and over in your mind. And that's one of the reasons Bina is called the Palace of Mirrors. It kind of takes the idea. And if you take a candle and hold it in, you know, in a hall of mirrors, it amplifies the light. I read something about understanding as being, uh, in terms of understanding and Bina, understanding as being the place where faith emanates from because mm-hmm. it said its roots are in Amen. So I guess it means Hokmah, Amen. And it translated Amen as so be it. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, of course, uh, Bina is called the Great Mother or the Great Sea. Or the Supernal Mother or the there's the two forms, the, the Bright Fertile Mother. Uh, and, Ama, the dark, and the Dark mother. Sterile Mother. So Ama is uh, two Alephs and a Mem. Mm-hmm. Aleph being beginning... It's the waters poised in the beginning, (laughs) the waters Mm -hmm. of the beginning. And then Ama adds the yod, the fertilization, and it's then it's the fertile mother, the fertilized mother that's been seeded by Hokma, ready to birth something into Hesed. (laughs) Yeah, and that's a really interesting idea because we often talk of Bina as sky and sea. And, you know, these two olives separated by the mem kind of brings that concept of two layers. Mm -hmm. Um, to visual life. See. Of course, it's associated Mara, with the Great Sea. Yeah, Saturn also. So this is our first yeah. actual planet. Yeah, the and outermost planet. There's a real duality about Bina in general. You know, not just the dark, sterile mother and the bright feral, <laughs> bright feral mother, the bright fertile <laughs> mother. But you know, like Saturn, Saturn also has that quality of being dark and terminal, but also bright and generative. You know, there's Saturnalia, you know, the the father of the harvest, and also uh, Saturn, the scythe bearer, father time, the delimiter yeah, of Kronos endings. versus Isis, both equally at home in Bina. <laughs> yeah. And what is a harvest, but an abundant end? <laughs> you know, it's both at once. It's yeah. the beginning of life for some and the end of life for others. Mm-hmm. The uh, archangels and angels, I suppose we could mention, which we have... The Archangel Zafkiel. Zafkiel, yeah. Zafkiel? The yeah. keeper of the records of evolution, which sounds very Saturn-y. It does. And I, I was doing some reading about Zafkiel this morning, and apparently Zafkiel is an angel, archangel of understanding and compassion. And I think that's because... Which we've already mentioned both yeah, things, yeah. Yeah, the idea that... Bina comprehends everything. and Accepting all, refusing none. Accepting all, refusing none, which we see, you know, Babylon as the Babylon figure, the, the sacred whore, basically the idea that how can we be separate or hateful of one another if we're all the same person, if we're all the same soul at some level. There is also the uh, demon, <laughs> the demon Lucifer. You didn't mention the other angels, though, before we oh, get yeah. to the demons. Okay. So there's the uh, Aralim. Oh, yes, the Aralim. Yeah. The active ones. We talked about it being active. Mm-hmm. And they're called the Order of Thrones. They're the thrones. And, yeah. And one of um, mm-hmm. the names for Bina is actually Korsha the Throne. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting in the idea of form being the the throne or the seat of power of the whole the whole tree in a way yeah arlim arlim i've seen it as both ways mm-hmm. yeah don't ask me how you say it yeah but also the idea that um thrones um that reminds us that queens are associated with the three in bina exactly. because in tarot always the queens have been seated on thrones on thrones yep. um right and that in a sense, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, the throne is the seat of power, you know, whereas the knight or king in Thoth, not so much in Rider-Waite-Smith, may bring the the force from one place to another or the authority of the office. The queen resides at the permanent place of power. So the demons, demons Lucifer, the morning star and... That's so interesting, the idea that the morning star is associated with the darkness of Bina, right? 
Well, the morning star, you know, from the beginning, and here's Brett bringing it back to this connection with seven that mm-hmm. we kind of touched on, that the morning star is Venus, and the morning star has always been associated with uh, Ishtar and Inanna mm-hmm. as, as Venus figures, as well as Lucifer. Also, the idea that this is above the abyss, and what is Lucifer best known for? Falling. Falling from, <laughs> falling from heaven. Right, right. right. <laughs> That's another sort of representation of that idea of movement and change being inevitable, which is also why I think Bina is known as the vision of sorrow, mm-hmm. you know, because you can't hold on to it. Right. Yeah. And which, of course, we'll also talk about in the Three of Swords when we get there. The virtue of Bina is silence, of yep, course. Which is kind of a form of stillness. It is. Yeah. And then the uh, vice are all is avarice, which... I saw described as an obsession with form, especially form of the self or the ego. Yes. Yeah, it is um, like all vices. It's sort of a a disorder of the virtue, an imbalance of the virtue. And that connection with the ego, that reminds me of something else that I saw. I found in, in 777 on page 44, there was an interesting table and it's called the genethliac values of t- planets. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> so genethliac, if you want to get out your dictionary, yeah. means pertaining to birth or the nativity, which oh, makes yeah, sense genethlon. as in ge- genetics, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, genethliac, yeah. genethliac, I don't know, however you pronounce it. Yeah. But it's a really cool table. And obviously, the first edition of 7-7 was written before Pluto was discovered. So Pluto was discovered in 1930, and the first edition of 777 mm-hmm. is 1912. Mm-hmm. So it does not... It, 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 does all the planets except for Earth, and it lists the how they tie into the the body and soul. I guess you would say. So it puts Neptune at that time the furthest most out planet at the position of the Fool, and still far out and even today. <laughs> at the position of Keter, I mean, you know, yeah, they put it as yeah. first mm-hmm. uh, Neptune because they didn't know about Pluto then. Yeah, but um. The description after Neptune was the truth, true self, the the, the Zeitgeist, mm-hmm. which I th- which I love that word because mm-hmm. it uh, it literally means times ghost, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, the spiritual environment, and then it put Herschel, which is uh, Uranus or Uranus or whatever you want to call it. That's, it says as the description, true will spiritual energy and it puts that you know like the position of Hokmah, the second one down yeah so, um yeah mm-hmm. but it calls it herschel because i guess they hadn't named the planet yet because it had just been uh recently discovered right. by right. the man whose last name was herschel the astronomer but, uh then the next one down is saturn where we're at now um and it's called the whole reason i started talking about this is because it calls that one the ego and it says the ego ahamkara and the skeleton. I got that too, the skeleton or skull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So ahamkara is basically the Sanskrit term for ego or the attachment to the ego. So aham, I, kara, either any created thing or to do. So I do or I am the created thing, the mm-hmm. ego, the, what the, the attachment to the ego. And that's kind of interesting because Saturn as the mind binding the concept of self to some external concept. That's Mm. the ego, you know? Mm. Yeah. If you think of Saturn as sort of like the outer shell, all of the things that are hold us within the skin and nails and hair, you know, um, the boundaries, the boundaries that make sense that it could be conceived of as ego because it's the division between the self and everything else. Yeah, but also as literally the structure, the skeleton. Literally the structure as well. Yeah, the furthest in in most part as well as the outermost part. Yeah. Yeah, and the um, idea of Bina's skull is pretty common in Kabbalah because Bina is that which it's like um, the skull is a metaphor used in the Zohar to represent uh, the mind's capacity, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, this is Bina as... I could be bounded in a nutshell of my skull. That's it. That's (laughs) it. The idea that 
you can only understand something, the insight you receive from Kakuma, by putting it in a finite place. Yeah. And, yeah, I, you know, letting it roll around in there the a idea bit. That, that's, <laughs> I think I said something sort of like that yeah. earlier, where it's like we can't, our mind can't even conceive of an idea until we can put some sort of shape or structure to it. Yeah. And I, I sort of think of that as like, Kakuma could be the knowledge or the data points or whatever, but... Bina is why it matters, the significance, the meaning. The shape of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why we care. Yeah, God name, Adonai Elohim. I didn't really do any looking into into that, but it's yet another form of tetragrammaton. Yeah. Because that comes next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, we should remind that uh, form is force crystallized or the discipline of force. Oh, and the magical formula um, in, mm-hmm. in the column in 777 is lists two, Babylon and vitriol. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So vitriol, of course, is a, rec- a reference to alchemy. Right. The great work. Yeah, and again, that's that idea of Bina as the seven, not just the three. Yeah, yeah. I tried, you know, I was doing some reading on... on um, vitriol and it, it it comes down to another notoricon you know vitriol mm-hmm. itself is one and yeah then, and then it brings up a, um uh, a further one ararita which is another seven-lettered word that's a notoricon um, yeah for a phrase that means one is its beginning one is its permutation its permutation is one one is its you know, <laughs> one 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 it's you know one, yeah it's it's all about divisions of the one and just to re- remind everyone, since you don't want to go look it up, the uh, the expansion of vitriol is visita interiora terrae rectificando invenias occultum lapidem. Yes. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> visit the interior of the earth, and there you'll find the stone, etc. The hidden stone. The hidden stone. Saturn is also known as Shabbatai, meaning, well, Sabbath or rest. It's a back formation from, oh, from but if anyone ideas wants to of learn Saturday. Oh, but um Ararita. Mm-hmm. The place to look is Liber eight thirteen, which is the uh, last, the highest numbered of the class A Libers. The hexagram and the method of reducing it to unity and beyond. So that's another seven, like the six and one, the mm-hmm. hexagram in the center. Mm-hmm. Anyway, colors, colors. Oh yeah, crimson in the Atsalutic st- scale, black in the uh, Queen scale. And then dark brown in the prince scale or emperor scale. And gray flecked pink in the empress or princess scale. Very organic colors, yeah. you know? Yep. Bodies and blood and death and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> rotting organic matter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, black, because we usually, if you pick mm-hmm. one, you go with the queen scale. Yes. For yeah. the sephira and... um so that would be so the, you know obviously each of these colors is each one of the, each of the worlds so crimson is the color of the 3 of wands black is the color for the 3 of cups etc cetera, etc cetera. black is the one you normally go to and it's interesting too because black it's described as the darkness that veils the divine glory in which all the colors are hidden yes and that is in a sense the source of Bina is opposition, right? The white of Keter versus the black right. of Bina. Yep. Even though we don't think of three as being oppositional, there's this whole sort of underlying vein in religion and philosophy of, you know, the great opponent. And that, I think, is part of where we get some of the demonization of women, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of like fear of the dark, the fear of the shadow. Yeah, and yeah. that's something that is is kind of coming up lately. Everything's out of balance because of that. The yeah. d- divine feminine being demonized, right? It needs to be addressed, right? That's true. I mean, there's an inherent sort of duality of perception in Bina, as we were talking about before. The idea of bright and fertile versus dark and sterile, and you know, I think that. That's a contest of perception that we have to fight. Yes. And that brings me to something I wanted to bring up is just Bina as the the head of the pillar of severity. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you hear severity, right? <laughs> and you're like, oh, this isn't going to be fun. <laughs> so it's like, oh, why does, why does the masculine pillar get to be mercy? Right. And the feminine pillar has to be severity. Right. Well, like yeah. the understanding that I'm getting from that is like, Basically, the concept of severity versus the mercy, mercy is 
force that's completely unrestricted. Yes. Thus, it's out. It's out. It's merciful. It's unrestricted. Right. It has nothing in checking it. Right. Whereas severity is limit the limitation and restriction of form. Right. You know, form is this receptive vessel that contains that. So that being like a corrective and containing and uh, limiting and boundarying thing, mm-hmm. and that making it severe because it's that's right containing this force. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if the guy just jacks off, you're not going to get a kid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. But uh, but again, you know, that these concepts of sort of expansion versus restriction play out all the way down the tree. In, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the, in the three pairs, in Bina and Hakma, in Givora and Chesed, in Netzach and Ho, it's constant sort of like tension of this outward force versus yeah. the inward and form. And in every case, mm-hmm. what's on the pillar of severity is somehow a correction to the unbridled nature or uncorralled nature yeah. of what's on the pillar of force. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the idea in physics of normal force, where in order to create any effect, you have to have a counterforce to it. It's like, we cannot even walk on the ground without the ground pushing back up at us. And that's probably why one of the magical images for Bina, like, the magical image is basically any any female figure can be a magical image, but one of mm-hmm. the ones um, that I read as a as a visualization was a, like a mother superior figure who's holding a rod in her left hand, <laughs> <laughs> a correcting rod. In her, oh my in god! Her left hand. So I was like, hmm. all right. So shall we talk some cards? Sure. Well, <laughs> majors first or minors first? I forget how we do this. Uh, I guess majors. It makes okay. sense. Yeah. Uh, Shall we start with numbers first? Or yeah. V- yeah, we might as well. So majors by number, majors reduced to three. So that's the empress, the hanged man, and the world. And rather than trying to all connect them to one thing, I kind of thought of them as different aspects of what we've been talking about. I yeah, mean, I you know, too, so that's good. Empress as mother, of course. Yeah. So we've got the Empress as the great mother. And, you know, when we if you go back and listen to the Empress episode, I remember we talked about the Empress as both Isis and Nephthys, her sister. Yeah. So both the bright fertile mother and the dark sterile mother, both. Right. As consort and, and mother figure as well. So as wife and mother kind of figures or, you know, as sex, but also nurture. And also um, the goddess Mout as the vulture, the vulture goddess, which kind of brings in the idea of the polarity of life and death. Yeah. That birth is yeah. also the beginning of death. <laughs> and then the hanged man, you know, seemed to me like a pretty, pretty uh, direct reference to the water and sea Right, the water and sea of Bina, the waters of the The primordial soup. Right, yes, (laughs) primordial soup and and the womb, the salt, the salt. Yeah, and then of course the world is like the womb itself. Right, and the daughter, and the daughter, the mother, and Mm -hmm. Saturn, and Earth. So we've got the Empress as that uh, between the Empress is on the path between Bina and Hokma as so it's like the gate of heaven. And then we have the universe, which is way down the bottom at the dingleberry there, <laughs> the path between <laughs> the yeah. two lowermost. Um, yeah, it's almost like when you go from empress to hanged man to universe, it's almost like a journey inward, you know, from the outer form of the mother into the internal sea and the blood and the amniotic fluid to the actual child within. Or conversely, going up, you're starting mm. at the universe as the princess, and mm-hmm. you're you're maturing. You, you have to, yeah, you yeah. have to head up towards the astral before you can go all the way up to pass through the gates again. <laughs> yeah, and in a way, the hanged man can kind of stand for those those moments of initiation between the mother and the daughter. You know mm. how one transforms into the other. The baptism. The baptism. How does a girl become a woman? You know through the. Changes of the fluids that run through the body, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're talking about menstruation or whether you're talking about hormonal changes or endocrine changes, the hanged man can stand for that. Okay, so um, majors by Sephira. So we're talking about all the majors that connect to Bina. And also that's, you know, we were talking about its connection with Seven, the Empress yeah. as Venus. Yes, yes, the Empress is Venus. Right. right, right. The container of all the others. All right. 
Yeah, so the ones that connect, uh, we've got the magus and uh, or magician and yeah. the uh, empress, mm-hmm. the chariot and the lovers, which I thought was a, a really interesting because I think it kind of is like if you put them in order, mm-hmm. magus, empress, lovers, chariot, it's almost the story of birth. You know, yeah. You've got, the, you've got, even though the magus is sort of androgynous, he's also... Male, he's the wand. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the yeah. male is the wand. You've got the empress as the mother. Then you've got the lovers, the solvate coagula yeah. process. And then you've got the chariot that carries the fertilized chalice down right. the uh, pillar. That's true. It's I kind of like a story of birth. It absolutely is like a story of birth. That's a good way to look at it. And I think another thing that I kept seeing as a theme in these four cards is that idea we've talked about of manifesting the unreal into the real, the unborn into the real, which is pretty obvious in the magician, of course, as above, so below. That is yep. the act of manifestation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's this quality manifesting and shaping reality is something we also see, of course, in the empress who shapes the literally the life that is coming into being. You know, and I was thinking about the lovers as – the shaping of a of a choice, you know, of like when you the, am I going to be incarnated or not? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're, it's the it's that path from the mother to the son. Again? <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of like once you commit to do that, a lot of other things disappear, right? Yep. It's the shaping of a future choice from the mother to the next generation, oh, the, mother to the, the son. son just yeah, like the uh, mystic number of three. Well, the mystic numbers are when you add up the digits. So one plus two plus three equals six, the sun. Yes. The mystic number of the mother is the sun. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Three plus two plus one. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the chariot, or we often think of the chariot as the grail carrier. It's almost like, and you the know, womb, the, the enclosure. Womb, <laughs> and the the shaping of the, the mission. You know, there's a purpose to the chariot. There's a shaping of purpose from the mother down to the next level. And... I always think of the charioteer as being a purposeful being in a non-selfish way. So like that armor is to protect you from the dangers of the world outside and to protect what's precious within. Right. So even though this pillar of severity is like a corrective thing, it's also Mm -hmm. protective. It's protective. Just like the mother can correct while she's protecting her offspring. Yeah. Both corrective and protective. Exactly. (laughs) And that's something we've talked about a lot with, you know, the universe card and Saturn generally for your protection or right. for your restriction. Saturn is yeah. the Lord of Karma. Is it a jail or is it armor? <laughs> and in a sense, you get to choose. And I think that that is part of the essence of the chariot, you know, choosing to wear the armor and then go. It's the shaping or manifesting of that sense of purpose and mission. And it's interesting, too, to look at the two coming out of Bina or or, mm-hmm. or actually Bina's receiving mm-hmm. um, are above the abyss. So we've got the Magus as from Keter to Bina and mm-hmm. the Empress as from Hokma to Bina. Those two forces being above the abyss. And then you look at below the abyss and you have the lovers and the chariot. So they're more, yeah. they're definitely less abstract um, forces that yes. we're dealing with yes. here. Yes, it gets yeah. less archetypal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we talk about queens before minors or minors before queens? I feel like queens are like central to this idea of being on the empress. Prefer. Let's do the queens first. Okay. I kind of want to get it over with because I didn't think about them. <laughs> well, I'll start you then. The queens okay. as being yeah. um, the hey primal of the divine name. Yeah. And, you know, as being seated, as being, yes. you can even see that in the form they're, of letter hey. The queens, the influence of the queens are said to be steady and unshaken not rapid and enduring. And that's why they're shown both armored and throned. And the gap in letter hay, I think, is really considered pretty significant in Kabbalah because it's like where the breath can come in, where you can receive the divine light. Without the gap, it becomes letter het, which is, you know, the, in- the, the enclosure. The yes, chariot, yeah. The thing that's closed in. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a quality of breathing, of receiving, of encompassing with queens 
Yeah, and also the fact that queens are watery, right? Is mm-hmm. also another Bina reference to the sea of Bina. The, yes, um, so they're all water of their element, water of fire, water of water, mm-hmm. water of air, water of earth. So water of water would be the queen of cups, the wateriest. The of wateriest the, of, of the them water. all. <laughs> I got her today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and the idea also that we kind of went back to of harmony and uh, and empathy because of connection of you know that's one of the the physical qualities of water it connects one thing to the next mm. it dissolves boundaries next and reflects mm-hmm. there's an amplifying quality and it takes to queens form. water water takes any form you put it into the shape it takes the shape of whatever vessel it's it's put in yes in a sense i don't know i think of queens as the means of reproduction, literally, both in like, in terms of, you know, birth, obviously, but also in terms of physical life, all Mm. physical forms, you know. That's interesting, because you know how court cards are either people or situations kind Mm -hmm. of deal. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that I read that I thought resonated well with that kind of idea is that if it's not relating directly to a person, a court mm-hmm. card is relating to a human choice that's resulted in a situation, which I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of interesting. So um, mm-hmm. so the queens in this case would relate to a situation, a choice that resulted in a situation that was stable and enduring in whichever elemental realm of queen it was. Yeah. So the choices of men versus the, I guess, choices of gods that would the majors would kind of correspond to. And I think that in queens, we have an awareness of the long term in a way that we don't right. see in other Something cards. Enduring. Yeah, that's the Saturnine aspect mm-hmm. of queens. It's also interesting to look at just... Really quickly, we'll mention the court crests of each queen. Oh, so okay, yeah. The mm-hmm. wands queen has a leopard, a winged leopard's head. They're all winged mm-hmm. because it's so exalted <laughs> and it can't be a regular leopard's head. It has to be a winged leopard's head. So make the, it fancy. <laughs> the wands is a winged leopard's head, and the the queen of cups has an, an ibis with open wings, and also a crayfish in the card, which emphasizes the lunar you know both the yeah. ibis and the crayfish as lunar yeah mm-hmm. and then the uh queen of swords has both the winged child's head and the severed head mm-hmm. um in the description and the queen of discs has the winged goat's head yeah and i was also sort of thinking looking at the crowns of the rider weight smith queens you know that they all in a sense refer back to the ultimate starry crown of the empress Mm. i don't know they seem more more significant and more uh than than you know the helmet of a rider wade smith knight or even the crowns of the rider wade smith kings are fairly standard issue but there's something that i feel the crowns of the rider wade smith queens point to that capacity of mind quality in Bina, um, the idea that the the crowning glory of these women has to do with their capacity to receive, amplify, and understand. Miners. Miners. Yeah. So this is this is where things get so interesting. Yeah. So the four threes uh, <laughs> are the middle. Or you could call it, I don't want to be confusing, but you could call it thus the fixed decan of the cardinal signs. The yes. Middle decan the of middle the cardinal decan. signs. And so you know it's what's where in- that the cardinal signs are at their strongest in a sense. And to connect it with the queens, they are the final decan of each queen. Which right. is, it's where each queen is going. So every queen has a 10 of a suit, a two of, a, of the next suit and the and three. three. Right. So there's, there is a feeling of completion about them, even as they set things in motion. I was kind of looking at the different ways that the ways that Rider Waite Smith differs from Thoth in what aspect of the three it chooses to emphasize. I mean, I think with the Rider Waite Smith threes, I was really thinking about that idea of one, two, many, right? It's sort of like one and then two and then many. That's like, now we have the self. Last time we had with the number two, it was self versus other, but now it's self plus other, self plus an outside world, self of like how the self acts in an environment. And so like with the Lord of Virtue, we have this sort of like, how does the self act in civilization, in society? You know, how is it empowered to govern and regulate? What is it that... Right, because its Deccan ruler is the sun. Right, So it's about right. rulership and... 
Yeah. Leadership. And, and I think that's a really good point. Crowley says that the Three of Wands is the idea of will as character. And character is a very solar thing. It's like the development right. of the self into something. Yeah, that knows itself, recognizes and values itself. There's something about the Three of Wands that to me has a real feeling of empowerment. You know, partly because the sun's exalted, but mm -hmm. if it's the self in context of others, then it's the self empowered to act rightly with mm -hmm. others. That's where we get these ideas of kingdom and government. And looking back at its original title, before Crowley renamed it to Virtue, it's Established Strength. Yeah, and I, I often think of threes as having this quality of shaping things. And that is what is happening. We're seeing in the in the Three of Wands, the idea that it can shape an outer environment to be better than it was. Then we have the, the Three of Cups. What is it that Crowley says? He says, the idea of love come to fruition. <laughs> yeah. So which sounds very fertile, first mm -hmm. of all. But also, I think with the Rider-Waite-Smith, with the Two of Cups, we had a pair. But with the Three of Cups, we have a community. We have the abundance of pooled emotions of goodwill mm -hmm. and how that becomes a thing of its own when you bring people together. Yeah, a thing of enjoyment. Yeah, the shaping of community. And then the very complex Three of Swords. And that's the definitive one in the sequence because mm -hmm. it's... We didn't mention the Deccan ruler of the Three of Cups. Mer oh, right. Mercury, Mercury, yes. Which is what makes it, well, enjoyable, kind of mercurial in the sense of it can change, mm -hmm. um, but enjoyable. It's fluid. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. uh, but then you, when we get to the Three of Swords, it's double Saturn because it's a three. It's a Kabbalistic and double. And it's, the yeah. Deccan is also ruled by Saturn. So. Yes. Saturn rules the Deccan. Saturn rules the Sephira, number it's the three. the sign of Libra, which is also exalted in Saturn. And it's the kickoff for a whole string of Kabbalistic doubles, the three and four of swords, the five, six, and seven of cups, and then the eight and nine mm -hmm. of wands. Yeah. And this one is so interesting because I think traditionally it had the quality of being the stand-in for the third thing in marriage, right? And yet we see it as um, the Lord of Contracts, Sorrow. Right? Yeah. The binding of something makes something else have to go Make away. something else, <laughs> exactly. Some and kills something else. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it is certainly, among other things, the vision of sorrow. Yeah, the uh, mm -hmm. pierced heart with three swords is literally... If you, you know, want to see a visual of the vision of sorrow, that's one of the images for it is the, the pierced heart. Crowley calls it universal sorrow or melancholy. He also calls it Weltschmerz, which is world pain. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know the, right. the pains of all the world, world the pain weariness. of existence. Yeah. Right? The unsatisfactoriness of existence dukkha <laughs> yeah yeah he he definitely distinguishes between things that make us sad as people and also just sort of the general sadness of being alive right. and everything having to die <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly and the the, uh, the 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 painful truths and realizations that are a necessary part of our spiritual evolution that word realization is really important i think because a realization, besides being real, which is a keyword for Bina, is like an idea that has been shaped into a form that you can work with and handle and proceed from. So I think the Three of Swords, you know, is in a sense, the capacity of our minds to learn, to take something that we don't want to know. And <laughs> to karmically evolve yeah. from our lessons. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's something really crucial about the Three of Swords. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then the three of discs, worker works. Material works. Yeah. <laughs> I love like, Curly says, and I, I think he must have been just like tired of writing write-ups for the, for the miners because he says something has definitely been done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you look at the card and it's got the, um, the building blocks of existence in it, you know, yeah, the, the yeah. Um, alchemic, the three alchemical ingredients, I mm -hmm. guess you would call it. You know, I saw something really interesting the other day. 
I wasn't even researching this stuff. I just happened to see it in a book on uh, sacred geometry designs, and it was a picture <laughs> of a crop circle. Yeah, bar- Barberry. Barberry yeah. Castle, a crop circle that appeared in there in, a, in the 90s. But it's, mm-hmm. it reminded me exactly almost, I mean, not exactly, but looking at it, it looked very much. I'll put, I'll put something up on the site, Yeah, a picture of it. Yeah. But basically, it looked very much like the three of discs. It was a yeah. tetrahedron form seen from the top, like we see there, and it had three wheels around it. Yeah. Like that one has, except the top one was, um, divided into six sections, um, and the right one was a, what was, what's called a ratcheted spiral, where it's this spiral that's kind of staggered and stepped by certain numbers of degrees. And then the one on the left was a circle showing its radius marked out in it. And so, and, but they were said to be alchemical. The, the six petal flower at the top was sulfur, the seed of life. The, the spiral was, had mm-hmm. to do with mercury and quicksilver. And the, oh, yeah. um, the circle with its radius shown had to do with the moon and salt. And then in the middle was the tetrahedron, like we see here. And then it had these three concentric circles around the apex of the pyramid. So I was like, wow, that really looks like the three discs. And I, so I yeah. kind of looked it up. I went on line and kind of looked up this crop circle at Barberry to see what kind of <laughs> weird wormholes I could fall into. And um, basic, when you look at these crop circles, they're all like got all these mathematical things encoded into them and like, you know, all these yeah. numbers and it's really interesting. But um, what it basically boiled down to is the, that the feminine is out of balance and we need to bring back a balanced condition to the divine mm. feminine was all these numbers embedded in this three of discs. Um, looking um another thing that i kind of forgot to mention about all the threes in general both rider wade smith and thoth and yours as well is that in cups and discs i think those specifically we have supernals the shape of the supernals uh, reflected in the sort of one upper and then two lower as well and that tetrahedron shape in thoth is interesting because it's a preview of the four in right, a way because it right? has four sides you just don't see the base of it yeah i mean it looks kind of you know, two-dimensional, like a fidget spinner. <laughs> right. And that's because it's the, now we're in the material world. Mm-hmm. And that's why it brings in that four, that four nature of discs and mm-hmm. the material. While it is just a triangle viewed from the top, you know, when we view it from the side, which we, we will see the tetrahedron, which is, of course, a symbol of the four. Yep. And when you look at the four threes as a group, you know, where Crowley says something has been definitely done. Well, they're kind of all like that. So in the three of wands the, and through the sequences, something's mm-hmm. been established, something's mm-hmm. been enjoyed, something's mm-hmm. been realized, and something's been built. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's yeah. like kind of the sequence of whatever, the something that's coming into existence with the three. Yeah. Gosh. I think we might have done we it. We might have done I it. I think that is about, about that's it. That's about it. For, uh, I mean... What yeah. we can do in one episode, anyway. I think so. You know, one thing I noticed just looking, I did looked really quick before we started at situations where I'd gotten double threes. And the one thing I noticed about them, and there weren't that many, was that it involved a lot of making stuff, <laughs> which seems really appropriate. Just, yeah. You know, forming, making, giving birth to stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's make an attempt to... Shout out some of the themes that oh, we've boy. talked about. <clears throat> we talked a lot, of course, about Bina's understanding, mental capacity, receiving ideas, uh, the palace of mirrors. About the essay and what is a number and every number is inf- infinite and there is no difference in what that actual means um, in ter- to Crowley and in terms of the difficulty of expressing the ineffable of numbers. <laughs> yes, the absoluteness, but also the relativeness of yes, numbers. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, manifestation, um, making things real, realization. Threefold gods and goddesses. So the great yoni versus the phallus <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> the sea, the waters, the. Where uh, faith emanates from understanding. Ideas of restriction. Um, protection versus restriction. Mm-hmm. Severity as limitation and restriction that kind of corrals the force that's been unbridled in the uh, Pillar of Mercy. Connecting and unifying in friendship, peace, and harmony. 
but also the shaping of the other thing, like as in the conflict of sorrow. Yeah, the the will to form and uh, things that hold form, like a, a plane, a triangle, a cup, a womb, a cauldron, a cave. <laughs> Not, anything concave. Anything concave, <laughs> as opposed to pointy and convex. <laughs> <laughs> anything receptive. Yeah, ideas of time mm, and limits. Time, yes. Oh, the skull and the, the skeleton. skeleton. And the ego as mm-hmm. a structure. Mm-hmm even if it's illusory. The triangle of art. Completion set in motion. Mm, Okay, let's call that done. All right, so... Something has been done. (laughs) Something has definitely definitely been been done. done. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's see if we can salvage anything out of those pastries. (laughs) Very, sounds good. Okay, so this has been the uh, numeric episode number three. Please join us next time for number four. See you then. And that's our show for today. You can find us at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you'll also find new episode announcements and loads of extra articles and visuals, which will help you follow along with the show. If you appreciate what Mel and I have done here at fortunes wheelhouse, please consider leaving us a five-star reviewer rating on iTunes, Apple podcasts, or Google play. And if you'd like to support the making of this podcast and gain access to all the member perks that come with that, please consider becoming a patron at any level you like by visiting www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. You can also explore fortunes wheelhouse gear like t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, and more by checking out our red bubble shop. That's at www.redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. Mel's beautiful books, decks, and prints can be found at tarotcart.com. And my book, Tarot Cases, Astrological Perfumes, and Online Tarot Class can be found at tsusanchang.com. Treat yourself to the tarot gift you've always wanted, because you are a hero of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support. <laughs>